Hi, friends. See what I did there? I called you a friend. We're friends now, and friends support each other. So if you could subscribe, rate, and review on Apple iTunes, that would be supporting your friend. Let's get this podcast out there. Hello, I'm Gabrielle Scorthorn, and this is Back From Reality. When I was 17 years old, my dad smuggled me out of a school excursion so that I could line up for hours at my local Westfield to audition for the reality television show Fresh Meat, where I would be competing to be a presenter on Channel V, which sounds pretty legit. But when you're plucked from suburban obscurity and thrust into the public eye in a world of sex, drugs and rock and roll, and you're not even legal, shit goes down. What happened over the next few months shaped the rest of my life in ways that I'm still discovering today. In this series of podcasts, I will be speaking with a different guest each week from the world of reality television. These chats will cover the highs and lows of the reality TV experience, how their lives have changed as a result, and what it's like to come back from reality. My guest today is Chloe Zool, a woman who is as nice as she is attractive, which is truly mind-boggling. Chloe and I have been friends for years, and I had no idea of her reality television past. Because the thing with reality television is, it's kind of like making out with someone who votes right. If you've done it, you don't talk about it. Chloe's story is one that amazed me. It's a story that involves dance rehearsals in a hotel lobby until 4am, Kyle Sanderlands being your number one fan, and a casual LA trip with Jackie O and her handbag in the next room. It's a story that also involves frank and open discussion about anxiety and panic disorder. So I wanted to give a warning today. This episode contains a description of a panic attack which may be triggering for some people, so listener discretion is advised. So if today is one of those days, because if you know, you know, maybe save this one for another time. And if today is one of those days, I love you and tomorrow will be better. We're doing it super cash today. I usually have a whole list of questions, but I've decided just to be completely underprepared for you. I feel like I forced you to do this. (laughs) You did not force me. For people listening at home, Chloe Zool is a dear friend of mine. We've known each other for six years and we were chatting the other day. I was talking to you about this podcast and you were like, wait, you've been on reality television? And then Chloe told me she was also on reality television. Yeah, we're the lucky ones. Reality television, it truly is the abortion of the entertainment industry. It's like everyone's had one, but no one talks about it. <laughs> yeah, but exactly. Uh, similarly, I think people are starting to talk about it now. Like they feel more comfortable. We are normalising reality television and it's about fucking time. I've been waiting for this day, Gab. Chloe Zool, you were on Australian Idol. Yeah. Which season? Well, it must be season three. I mean... What was the year before? Wasn't the year before Ricky Lee? There were these two just amazing years and then there was my year. And I'm not saying that people weren't good. I just feel like it was a hard act to follow. That's probably how I got in. Yeah, you're a third season contestant. Absolutely. Come on in. (laughs) Yeah. And then 16-year-old Chloe turns up. So you were 16. 16. Had you watched Idol the first two seasons? I'd watched Pop Stars, of course, was obsessed Mm. then it must have been idle after that i i guess and i don't know i think it might have been one of those things where everyone just says like you should audition for this you should audition for it and i just decided to audition to do the thing where you go and line up at three in the morning and sing at 4 p.m is that literally when you got there yeah so you go to darling harbour and the line when i got there at about 
I reckon, yeah, like four or five in the morning was meters and meters long. And then it just got longer and longer and longer and longer. And we just sat, a friend of mine came with me and we just sat there all day and then the line would move a little bit. And we sat there all day. And I, I remember when I sang, it was dark. Are you just like vocal prepping in the line as well? Just like, <laughs> like, how do you stay fresh for that long? I had no idea. I didn't know. I'd started singing when I was 12. And so this was four years later. I just opened my mouth and sound came out. It was no good. I just, what I knew was that, oh, that doesn't sound how I practiced it because I would have been so fatigued because I hadn't slept. And I just, I don't know, I just, you know, when you just do things when you're younger and you don't think about it, that's, that was that. Because you've got a bit more confidence when you're younger. Yeah, well, no one's knocked you down, so you don't know any better. You just assume it's going to be fine. Because you can only start auditioning for Idol at 16. Which seems crazy to me. Like, why are you putting kids on reality TV? 16 is a kid. I'm, I know there are very mature and responsible people that are that age, but I don't feel like I was old enough to do that. They're not. They're just <laughs> presenting as mature. And it's like, you are not a fully fledged human being at the age of 16. But so uh, I digress. I digress. What did you, what did you <laughs> sing at? <laughs> what did you sing at your audition? Gav, I should have prepped this. I don't remember. I really don't remember, but I reckon it was something inappropriate, like probably something I couldn't sing, like a Whitney Houston song. I think, if I'm being really honest, I think I've shut a huge part of that time out of my life because I've got a really great memory and there are genuine black moments where I just cannot the life of me remember the details which is crazy to me well that that sounds like a bit of self-protection coming in strong there trauma if in the midst of this we unlock anything you know just just tell us to take a breather okay so you're you're like 80 percent confident it was a whitney houston song i wonder if my mum would remember jenny jenny yeah, Jenny. Jenny Godwin would remember. Jenny Godwin is also traumatised by this experience because I was underage. So mum was with me. She wasn't there for that first the lining up at 4am, but she was there through all of it because I had to have a guardian with me. Well, if you've got to have one, she's the one to have. <laughs> I asked her, I asked her, like, what did you do when I was auditioning? She said she sat in the hotel room and stressed out. That's what she did all day from morning to night. Like she didn't go shopping. She didn't do her work. She just sat in the hotel room worried. She got a hotel room? <laughs> yeah, because when I got to the, I, I hope I'm not spoiling anything, but when I get got to the next round or the next few rounds, they put us up in a hotel because they had us working crazy hours and she had to take time off work and I had to take time off school she had to be with me, but then I was alone for the auditions. So, you know, they would say, you have to be downstairs in the lobby at 6am and we'd get back home at 11pm. The least they can do is get you a bed. So we'll jump back a little bit. So you auditioned for the producers first. Do you remember that? Yes, but in this circumstance, which I've actually done the voice as well, and that's a longer process. But for this, it was, you would go to the producers in one room and sing your little bit. Then they would send you to a different producer's room and you'd sing for them on the same day in the same time. They'd give you like a card 
then you would go to the real judges and that's when you got your gold paper. Do you remember the golden ticket thing? I just always remember, you're going to Sydney, but you're already in Sydney, so it's not that far. (laughs) So they just give you a gold bit of paper. So what was your singing for the judges like? How did it go? Well, they never showed it. (laughs) This keeps happening to me. They don't show it on TV. (laughs) Um, So... I think it was good enough, but not great. And Kyle took a liking to me. The others were indifferent. Mark never liked me. So I had Kyle, Marsha and Mark. They mentioned something about me being young. That was it. Then I was in. What's the next round after your golden ticket? So that's when you, so you're going to Sydney. That's when they got everyone into the hotel rooms and they got us all into one spot to then do basically a bunch of rounds in a row um, and they would knock people out. So that's kind of the main thing that you see on TV before you go to the lives. And then from that round, they would cut people. And then from that round, that's when they put us in groups and we all had to sing Finally by Cece Peniston. Do you know that song? No. Finally, it's happening. I did know that song. I just wanted to get get a line out from you. (laughs) Got it. So we had to, we got put in groups at like, 9 or 10 p.m. and we had to the next morning perform in our group we had to have harmonies we had to do it as like a performance and we had to learn the words I had this group of three and we decided to go back to the hotel quickly drop our things and meet downstairs and work out our little trio of what we were going to do and then the next morning we had to be up again you know there at six o'clock there all the groups are there doing their bits in their little sections, waiting to go in all day again. And the cameras were there ready so that if you messed up and you started crying or anything, they were right there up in you. And of course I was crying all the time because 16 and it's me. And it was so scary and there were professionals there and it was so intimidating. I wanted to ask you about that actually, because I can remember when I was like 14, I'm a terrible singer and I was like, I'm a pretty great singer. You know, I was like, yeah, 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 me and Mariah, similar style. Um, But it's like you go to this thing as a 16-year-old. Did you kind of see the talent that was around and go, oh, shit? Yes, and I don't think I've ever intellectualised that. I just could sing and people told me that I was good, but I just knew nothing about singing. I knew nothing about my voice. I just didn't really understand at all and I never thought that I was going to be anywhere near as good as some of the other people but I thought that I would be like the Britney Spears of the group you know like Britney didn't have the voice but she had the pizzazz she could dance and like you know she could wear a crop top and I was like that's cool I'll just I'll just perform and that'll get me through. But so then you go, you're performing in your your trio. How did it go? It was fine. And then, of course, I forgot the words and panicked and didn't sing some of it. I totally messed up and then left the stage and cried. And, of course, you know, the cameras are there and they're like, why are you crying? And I don't know about you, but when I'm crying, I'm like a hiccup crier. You know, like, <laughs> oh, write it down. Yeah, trying to answer these questions. I was so embarrassed and just like so tired and stressed, you know. 
I'd probably had three hours sleep that night and three hours the night before and maybe the night before that, you know, and you're there all day, not really eating so much because one, there wasn't very much food and two, you're nervous, so you don't want to eat. So of course I can look back on it now and think, oh, of course that was going to happen. But in the moment, I just couldn't understand why I was hyperventilating and why I couldn't remember the words when I'd practiced and why I couldn't be up to scratch and how embarrassed I was that I'd let the others down and then somehow got through that round. I just don't, like, I don't know. I don't know how it happened. I mean, I could tell you if they showed some footage on the TV, but they didn't. It will forever remain a mystery. But when, when you said so you came off and then the camera was right there, how invasive was that? So invasive. The thing that sticks with me with Australian Idol is the moments of breaking down and crying and being upset and the camera, you know, there was another time later on where I was crying and went to the, walked into the bathroom and they followed me into the bathroom, you know, with the camera asking me questions like into the toilet. Are these male crew members? Yeah, maybe. I can't remember, actually. I think it's safe to assume in Australian <laughs> television that it's male. It's likely, yeah. And then I think I said, just like, go, like, please leave me alone. And then I think they did. But I, I, that, I was quite, that one stuck with me a lot because it's embarrassing when you feel like you're not up to scratch and you break down. That's embarrassing, straight up. That's, well, for me, that's, that's hard to do that. You're very vulnerable when you do that in front of people that you don't really know. But to then go and try and find a moment of peace and try and get yourself together and be followed, not just followed by someone, but followed by a camera, mm. knowing that that will be on TV. Because of course that's gonna go on TV because that's, that's what makes good TV, the drama of it. That was a lot. I found that very hard. I mean, it's creepy enough thinking of like a 30 year old dude following a 16 year old into a bathroom let alone <laughs> you know like that is creepy af on its own and yet they're trying to kind of mine these tears out of you so you get through you go to like lives right you're on the you're on the telly no so then we had we had one more round after that which was the top 50. So basically we all had to get up on stage individually and everyone else in the top 50 sat and watched and the judges were behind the, us watching. So you had to do your own performance in front of all the people you're auditioning with. And so I sang Shackles, which is not called Shackles, it's called Praise You by Mary Mary. But the best thing was that it was a cappella. So I just sang it in this really comfortable key. I must have just figured that out for myself. And they were all like clapping with me and everyone was really supportive and singing along, which hopefully distracted from my, well clearly distracted from my vocals. And they, then I got through that and then it was the top 30. Was that a high point? Yeah, Shackles was cool. I feel like it's the only time I sang well. Like every time I got through a round, I just was confused. I was like, I don't understand because I don't feel like I have a good story and I don't feel like I'm doing that well, but 
who knows? I don't know what the algorithm is and why it happened. Well, you're Britney Spears, babe. You're the whole package. <laughs> Britney Spears, that's it. And you are incredibly talented as well. <laughs> it, you know, it's it's nice to go like, I don't know how my success happened. It is nice. It, it It's becoming on a woman. No, Gab, I genuinely feel like that with this. You know, sometimes I can look at things and go, do you know what? I'm not the best at that, but I did a good job and I'm proud of myself or that's my version of something and that's that's good enough. Sometimes I can do that. But for this, I keep thinking back going like, I really don't think I was a very good singer. I just don't know what happened there. But I don't know because I don't have the footage. You know, there is footage somewhere, but I don't I don't have it. And this is before YouTube or anything, which is I think is probably a good thing for us. It is a great thing. Actually. So, I mean, the only person who knows the truth here, Carl Sanderlance, Marsha and Mark Holden. My mate, Kyle. Yeah. So then you're through to telly. Yeah. And they had shown bits of me during that time. I wasn't one of the main ones that were showing, but I had been on TV at this point. And so people from my school had seen me on TV and things. And then you would have seen me get into the top 30. So what was that like stepping into... A television studio for the first time at 16. This bit was amazing and exciting, you know. So they had a camera crew come out to my work. I worked at Gloria Jeans. I was the barista there. And look, I've come full circle because I've just started as a barista here <laughs> in Tasmania. Because <laughs> thanks, COVID. Thanks, anyway, COVID. Um, I, I, they came to my work and brought the camera crew and I had my glory jeans top on and you know everyone just had to be working and then I would pour a coffee and like give it to the camera and be like here you go anyway they then that say I don't know if it was the same day or a different day but then they came to my house and we did the whole like us at home and mum cooking and that was really exciting because you know the camera crew was at my house and then we all got to go to the studio and of course they have stylists there and they style you in an outfit they do your hair and makeup and you know you get to go to the cafeteria and you can get anything you want for free in the cafeteria oh shit so like hot chips and just like anything i wanted <laughs> so it was a big deal Big deal. But that is. It was because I was 16, you know, like so excited. And they gave us fruit. Do you remember fructose? No, fructus? The hair, like. Garnier fructus. fructus. Yes, because they were a sponsor. Yes, they were a sponsor. We got hairspray and shampoo and conditioner and like all this hair care for free. I was beside myself. <laughs> so good. Um, yeah, so that was epic. I felt like I had made it. I felt like all my dreams had come true and I was finally going to be Britney Spears. So you've had this great moment, you know, you're getting free fructus. And then <laughs> when does the pressure start? Well, then you have to actually do the performance. And so you sit and they'll say, okay, Chloe, you're number three for filming. And so you go in and you do like a practice of it and everyone watches and they film it. And I messed up the rehearsal and I think that's the time I started crying and they followed me into the toilet. And cause it's, you know, all the people that you're competing against sitting watching you through the little window and you know, the first time singing with the band with John Foreman and just performing to cameras, realizing that those cameras are going to people's 
TV screens and everyone that I went to school with and everyone that I'd ever known was going to see this performance. That's, yeah, that's when the pressure started and I started to really understand, like, how high stakes it was. Uh, and then, of course, the performance, the, the real one, the live one that was, you know, the real competition. And I actually, for the first one, did reasonably well, I think. Mm. But I kind of got cut down by the judges. Kyle was nice to me, but I don't really remember what the judges said, but they didn't love it. So, so then the next, thing, the next thing is people watching it and voting for you, you know? So you're waiting to see if people like you enough to get you through. And I didn't get through, but I did get to the wild card. They made another group, a fourth group, of wild cards who got a second chance. For that one, I had said I wanted to sing again, um, I'm Every Woman, <laughs> Whitney Houston. <laughs> Some big choices going on here, Chloe. <laughs> I think it must have been Kyle that ended up calling me and being like, I really don't think this song is a good choice for you. So then I changed to Come On Over. Christina Aguilera and I wore like a cap but sort of to the side like one of those like eponine caps but a bit to the side oh bless you was that Kyle's suggestion as well a little cap it probably was the stylist you know like Mm. giving me a cool look it was just a nothing song it just didn't work for me again and it was just kind of boring and nothing and weird and I had green eyeshadow on which is just always a no-no for me and I, I, I did not do well in that one and I didn't get through and that was that you know we went from staying in a hotel to like okay bye you're out and I was literally at school the next day (laughs) like doing exams and people at school being like oh my god you're an Australian Idol people ask me to sign things for them at school and so then when you have to go back to school is your mood different are you noticing any kind of changes after the experience totally my best friend Michael who was my best friend then as well said that I was so different you know something changed in me and I remember thinking all my friends were boring my life was boring school was boring because of course you know I went from being around all these older people that were all musical and you know I went to a school where I didn't have a lot of friends and no one really understood me you know it took me till I was about 18 to find my people and we also we both grew up in suburbs we're not city kids yeah western suburbs of Sydney but I remember at that point thinking everyone I knew was boring and just I think I must have been a troll I think I was awful, but I don't really remember specifics about my behavior. I just remember that Michael, my friend, said to me, oh, you're really different. Like everyone's saying you're really different, just so you know, like you're acting a bit different. And were you less motivated to pursue a music career or more motivated? I was less motivated to do school stuff because all of a sudden school felt just insignificant and too hard and annoying and I'd missed heaps of it so I was behind and you know when you're behind you're like oh it's just overwhelming and so I was less motivated to do school stuff and then yeah I wanted to be doing performing stuff I wanted to be a star (laughs) a star that sounds funny to say (laughs) and you are um so how long were you at school before you got a call from old Kyle Sanderlands. Well, I was 17, so it must have been that year still. I think it must have been um, 
when Idol finished that year, maybe a few months or so, like since when I finished Australian Idol to when Kyle's manager, Ryan, called or emailed or messaged or something. So he asked if he could come over and speak to my mum and I. I don't know if there were other calls in between because I can't remember, but basically Ryan, Kyle's manager and best friend, came over to our family house out in the suburbs and said he wanted to make a pop group with me and two other girls. They wanted to trial doing a pop group. So Kyle was with Tamara Jaber at the time and Tamara had written a bunch of songs and she'd been working on her pop stuff since she was in Scandalous from Pop Stars. And so she wanted to do some stuff and they wanted to put a group together and he thought I was perfect for that. And so they wanted to fly us to LA because Kyle and Jackie O were going to do doing some radio stuff over there in LA. And so they had this big house in Hollywood Hills and Tamara was gonna be over there and they'd booked some recording studios and they wanted to fly us over and record a bunch of stuff over there in LA and New York and then put together this group and market it and be a pop group. Okay, couple questions. <laughs> couple questions. Firstly, Chloe, you are incredibly talented. You are also incredibly beautiful. Thank you, Gab. You always say that to me. Yeah, that's the nice bit. And now we'll go into the slightly creepier bit. Did you ever feel strange that as a beautiful 16-year-old, Kyle Sanderlance was taking such a personal interest in you? I didn't at all. I also can wholeheartedly say that he wasn't interested in me. He never ever was inappropriate with me. He never did anything. He and Tamara were actually a really great couple and really in love and really sweet together. Yeah, he wasn't weird with me at all. Okay. He was actually just very lovely. And I actually think I remember being surprised that he was lovely to me because he his, you know, thing was that he wasn't lovely to people and mm. you know come across as a bit of an asshole but he was really nice to me but it does sound it does sound a bit creepy it sounds a bit roman polanski <laughs> look they were very business you know they wanted to assure my mom and i that i could fly as a 17 year old by myself to la and do this without her they wanted us to feel safe so you did it right yeah I did it. Beck Tapia, she was Beck Tapia at the time, her and I were the two girls and Tamara and Kyle and Jackie were already over there and Ryan flew with us but he flew business class. What a bitch! <laughs> uh, so her and I sat together and she is one of the most beautiful people. We're still friends. So we had each other and we bonded very quickly and... and so did I feel safe? Yes. Did I feel uncomfortable? Yes. You know, I'm not always great with, you know, like you, you're the life of the party and you can talk to anyone. And I can talk to lots of people, but I get very socially awkward sometimes and nervous and embarrassed. And, you know, we go to this big house in Hollywood Hills and it's like a proper mansion, you know. Yeah, I was more just nervous to be in their company. It was at that point I started to feel like I wasn't good enough to do anything and I wasn't good enough to 
to be there. And so I was having a lot of self-doubt and feeling a bit of imposter syndrome, but then at the same time being so excited because I wanted to be a pop star. I often find in the entertainment industry that you go from being a complete narcissist to like, I should probably just crawl into this hole and die. Like it's, it's this pendulum that swings between the two. Did you ever talk to anyone about, oh, I feel a bit nervous being here. I feel a bit imposter syndrome I wouldn't have had that vocabulary to say that part. I would have said to Beck that I was nervous uh, about doing things. And as soon as we got to the recording studio, I was really nervous. I was really out of my depths, you know? I'd only started singing a few years before. I didn't really know how to use my voice. When you get nervous, your voice wobbles. And, you know, in a recording studio, you sing and you hear your voice with no music, just your voice being played back to you. And it's really confronting it's a really raw kind of ugly sound and then they fix it and make it good but I was really negative but I didn't know that I was being negative you know I was like that sounds bad that sounds really bad I'm really bad I'm not good I'm not good at this I don't know I'm terrible and I just kept saying lots and lots of things like that and I mean I don't remember a lot of it but I know that because of what was said to me after I remember Ryan being pretty harsh with me and my talk around it and during that time the reason why we were all in LA was also so that we could bond as a group and they could see us together as a group but then in that time Tamara got nodules or something along those lines if it wasn't nodules it was laryngitis and so she was really sick and Kyle ended up being not well for some of the days and so she was wanting to look after him and it was this weird experience where we were supposed to all be hanging out as a group but it just the vibe wasn't there and it's not that we didn't get along we just weren't vibing as a group and to me it was pretty clear that I didn't fit in you know Tamara and Beck were older they already knew each other from dancing together at Brent Street and they just had better voices and were more they weren't green like I was and so I just started to feel like I was drowning. Um, yeah. And I fucked it. But did they look after you? I mean, they must be aware you're the youngest in the group. They've completely flipped your life on its head. Were there any allowances for that? I really don't know. I felt like I was being treated like an adult. And, you know, my mum's so beautiful. She, I had said during Australian Idol and before we went on this trip, I was like, I need to buy clothes. Like, I need to buy things so that I can look good to be in LA and to be with these uh, older girls so she took me on this like shopping spree I don't know how she would have afforded it I don't know what happened there but we bought shoes and jeans and heels and so the the wardrobe I took over there was not my wardrobe I was like dressed in heels and white pants and like a cool jacket and I was just I don't know playing some sort of costume game so I don't know if they treated me like an adult or if I felt like I was an adult but actually they were looking after me I don't feel like they went above and beyond to kind of make me overly comfortable but they weren't like horrible to me or anything like that but it was definitely it felt very professional it didn't feel like I was being babied in any way it just felt like I was working and then how did it work out so we were supposed to fly to New York 
at the end of the week in LA and then Tamara lost her voice and they decided to cancel the New York part. But I also got the feeling after a few days in the recording studio that they weren't happy or it just wasn't quite right or something. And I got the feeling that it was me, but I wasn't sure. No one really said anything. It just started to get a little bit awkward. And so we went home and then I didn't hear anything and I didn't hear anything. And I was like, oh God, what's happening with it? And then I don't know if I called Ryan or if he called me, but it was quite a while after. And he was like, hey, yeah, um, we've decided that you're not gonna work for the group. Um, we just found you just like really negative and we're not really about like negative vibes um, and you just didn't really work with the group. So yeah, that's that. And like super short, like that's it. And hung up. So this is this guy that had come to my house more than once to sit and talk to my mum and was like the our best friend and I'd flown to LA with him and stayed at the same house as him and then they didn't even have the decency to say hey look this is the situation or take me out for a coffee or send me an email or anything it was just like this really short phone conversation that was basically like you're shit we don't want you bye and that was it. <laughs> Had you gone back to school at this point? Like what what was going on with your education? Yeah, well I was in I was in year eleven, so I would have been at school. I don't know if that was in the school holidays or if I'd taken time off. It's likely that I took time off to go and then came back and went back to school again and then I had year 12 the next year. Do you know what makes me really angry when you tell that story is that it sounds like they were trying you out and they are taking no duty of care because they are playing with your education like they are trying something out when your education is at stake. I think as well they're really formative years especially as a woman but just for anyone and as a new performer you know, I I had been performing, I'd been dancing since I was four, but singing was very new to me and singing is so exposing in a very different way to dancing. And I had just done all of this Australian Idol stuff, which is hard and you're very vulnerable. And then to go and be completely out of my comfort zone as an inexperienced singer with people that are professionals and yeah, they weren't overly nurturing or anything like that. To go through all of that, to have them do that to a 17-year-old, it seems a bit irresponsible. But also, I just don't understand why they had to do it in that way, why it had to be so dramatic. Why couldn't they get us to meet up in Sydney and try some stuff and then if it was working, fly us to LA. But no, they had to do the whole kit and caboodle. <laughs> and so then it felt like so much more of a failure when I felt like I'd let the group down and the group wasn't happening because of me, which maybe it was, but they should have seen that I wasn't right for that. I was 16, 17. So you've been crushed twice you know and it seems like you'd done idol and then you went back and you kind of like had this period of trying to get used to something again and then they just like flip your life again do you think that your education was affected by this experience yeah I do I do it doesn't help you know had I been someone that was really good at studying or was really good at school initially 
I think it would have been easier to jump back in. But I just didn't care. I stopped caring about school. I did it. I got by. I did school because mum forced me to and I am glad she did. But I just wanted to perform. So I was like, I don't care about school because I'm going to be a performer. I'm going to work professionally. Uh, I'm going to go to a full-time performing arts course and I don't need a UAI. I still was singing. I kept singing after that. I, I did, you know, little performances because then I had this other... Um, piano teacher that was trying to her and her husband were trying to manage me so they were trying to get me gigs all the time of me singing by myself at random things and people would be like who is this person you know like at the Castle Hill Fair and there was like you know ponies and things and then I would get up on stage and sing like a set of three songs and no one knew who I was but they'd say like Chloe's all from Australian Idol so people sort of accepted it. And when you were doing those performances did that anxiety and panic kind of carry on to those performances? You know what it didn't like I don't know how I did some of these things I am one of the only people that didn't know the melody to Last Christmas I did not know that song. I'd never, I'd, I didn't really know it. I hadn't really heard it. And I had to do this quick Christmas gig and I saw the song list and I was like, yeah, cool, got it. Forgot and then tried to learn last Christmas, the day before, got there for the gig and sang last Christmas, but not the melody. I made up the melody. I literally was like, last Christmas. <laughs> I gave you my heart and I, like, <laughs> it was it would have been in tune but I I actually remember making the melody up and looking around and people looked confused and now I go oh that's like a really famous song that's why I just thought maybe no one really knew it and it would be fine and I just sort of got through it, it was another time that I f- forgot the words and pretended that my mic didn't work. I mouthed words and pretended that my mic didn't work and tapped. I was like, <laughs> and then kept going when I remembered the next words. That is so Britney Spears of you. It's crazy. I just had, I don't know how I had that confidence. I don't know what happened to it. I just, I don't know. I don't know how I did those things. Of course I would get nervous, but I was confident enough to do that. And when did things start to not go as well in terms of performing and panic? Look, I have always been the sort of person that doesn't do themselves justice. Like I can sing at home and do a really good job and feel really good about it. And then the moment I get in front of people, I get nervous and my voice shakes and I do funny things. I've always been that person. I've always really struggled with um, representing myself in the way that I should be and kind of getting in my own way. But I guess progressively that got worse and worse as time went on. Like we said, you know, the more constructive criticism that you get, the more feedback you get, the more knockbacks that you get. I guess the more you get into the industry and as the level that you're working at progresses, the people that are around you the standard of them is higher and higher and higher and all of a sudden it gets more and more and more intimidating and confronting and you're more vulnerable and so I feel like it got pretty bad maybe after Les Mis or around that time maybe just during musical theatre I think musical theatre and auditions and that sort of thing back-to-back auditions and back-to-back 
knockbacks is is when I started panicking. <laughs> I should probably mention as well, because we've jumped forward so much, that Chloe Zool has become like, you know, Australian music theatre royalty and has done... That's not true. <laughs> it is completely true and I'm not going to let you contradict me. You've done so many shows and the panic started later. Can you uh, put into words what that, that panic is like? Oof. Oh, we've talked about this before, haven't we? So I've had a couple of versions of it. What I have physically is that I'm shaking so much that when I sing, I I have to take 87 breaths per one line and I can't hold the notes and I can't breathe and I feel lightheaded. I literally feel like I can't breathe. But on stage, I feel like I'm going to die. Like the feeling is I stop being able to feel from my um, torso down. Like I stop feeling my legs. I can't take a full breath. So I like, <laughs> and I feel like someone's hand is closing around my throat slowly. So it feels like really, really constricted at the back of my throat. Um, and then I start to feel dizzy and feel like I can't see. Like during Beautiful, which should have been the best ever, it should have been the best show ever because it was really fun and a really great cast and it should have been the best. I just had the most horrible time because I would have those moments. I would go on stage so panicked and come off stage and not remember having gone on. I would have panic attacks side stage or straight after or during on stage and panic attack on stage is I guess like that but you just keep singing and the panic attack off stage is crying and in hysterics and I definitely scared some people because I would just stop breathing that's another thing I would hold my breath but not know and oh it's awful it's it's genuinely debilitating and really isolating because it's it again embarrassing but it's also it feels like no one quite understands and it feels a little bit like you're being an attention seeker you know like get it together stop being nervous it's just a show you're not saving lives it's not a big deal I don't under because often it's not like oh just this one performance of course it's all the other things that have led to this moment that are making you react in this way but to the outside world it just seems like you're being hysterical I have had a panic attack on stage as well and that thing that you were saying about like not being able to see I I lost sight in one of my eyes and so I'm on stage and it was just a three-hander and I I have to be on stage for the whole you know hour 20 hour and a half and yeah you keep going you keep going and you know that your body is like shutting down and then you walk off and um as you were saying you scared people like and that's such a shitty feeling as well like I walked off and the other actress who is gorgeous was like I I saw you in that first scene and that's the only time it's happened that someone's noticed it and then the male actor who I respected and love so much said to me oh come on stop fishing because I think I had said to him like oh was it okay but you also could it could have been that you didn't remember like I've had many performances where I cannot really remember because I'm panicking but something's coming out words are happening my feet are moving my like I'm talking I'm singing and then I come off stage and I can't tell you what happened I have no idea really 
and then people say I didn't notice at all and I'm thinking like really that was horrific sometimes you just have to ask because you don't know and I don't think you really talk about it but when I have spoken about it with a few just a couple of people with stage anxiety I always say but it never affects my work I never let it affect my work do you feel bad talking about it do you try to cover it up I feel like I have been talking about it I feel like I've mentioned things like that before but I didn't have again I didn't have the vocabulary you know I'd say I get really nervous or something along those lines but getting really nervous and panicking to the point of not breathing are two very different things and I have since beautiful because I couldn't hide it I would get through the stage bit and break down off stage or barely get on stage because I was panicking so much or you know there was a huge time all the way leading up to opening night of Beautiful, I could not sing the final note of the song. Even in previews, I would hit the note and come off it like everyone knew. I wanted to quit halfway through leading up to opening night because I couldn't, it's supposed to be, do the locomotion with me, swing your, uh, obviously not in that key. And I would just sing me and then sing the next bit. And it was very obvious that I, couldn't do it properly and that was also part of the shame of I was thinking all these swings are here and people that can do it so well and here I am holding this role and I can't do it and they're all there thinking that I'm awful and so I did talk about it a little bit but I don't feel like the understanding was there and that's not anyone's fault it's probably just the place that I was in and the fact that I couldn't really explain it and it's hard to understand and you know it was a little featured ensemble role it wasn't Carol in Carol King the musical so it did seem very ridiculous that I was having that kind of reaction to such a small thing but I have definitely talked about it a lot more since then while it doesn't affect my work to people watching it affects my work in that I don't do the work that I could be doing and I find that really hard to go out there and do something that's kind of just good enough it's not my best because I've gotten in my own way I wanted to talk about that in depth quite a lot because well we have such similar experiences with stage anxiety and when I went and got help because after someone noticed I was like this is never happening again. Like I am never going to let another actor know that something's happening because I want them to feel safe. And I went to a a psychologist and I was like, look, this show, um, because I was triggered because I was doing like three shows at once. Because you um, never stop working because you're so good. No, because I had never worked and I was like, I'll take it all. I'll take anything that you'll give me, any scrap. And I, I went to this psychologist and I was like, yeah, I've been triggered by this. And she was like, okay, yeah, that's, that's cute that you think that. Um, and she spoke about like my teenage years and we spoke about Channel V and the reality television experience. And I just thought, oh yeah, she wants background. She wants context. <laughs> she's filling time. She's just, she's got to get that hour. <laughs> she's got to get that hour. Um, and at the end of it, she was like, yeah. So I think, you know, you've just kind of locked away Uh, things but I think that all of your stage anxiety is absolutely related to your reality television experience because um, at a very young informative age you've been told you're either good enough to be here or you're not so I'm just wondering me Dr Gabrielle 
I feel like your two experiences might be related. Do you think that there's any correlation? Surely. I think, you know, if you look at it as as it panned out, it would seem like no, because I got back on the horse and I kept going. And, you know, often the stories are you get cut down and you, you let it go. That's not what happened. Uh, but I think it absolutely would have contributed for sure. And honestly, I had never thought about it. Like I said, I did Australian Idol and I did that thing where we got flown to LA and then I never thought about it again. Like I put that in a box and I never thought about it. I was very embarrassed by the whole experience. And it wasn't until The Voice came up where they asked me to audition and I was like, absolutely not. I'm never doing reality TV again. It's awful that I kind of brought it back up again. And then I did the voice and I found that 20 times more traumatic and did it to myself again. So yes, I would say that it's contributed. (laughs) Do you think that things from Idol were coming up on the voice? Yeah, for sure. For sure. Because I choked and I sang terribly and thank God they didn't, I my live audition wasn't shown on the voice thank god so I did the audition and you know they're supposed to turn around for you and no one turned around I cried that night I cried from the moment I got home until the next day and cried the next day like I was so devastated and embarrassed because by that point I'd been working doing musicals so I wasn't just a random person giving it a go I was a professional standing there being told that I wasn't good enough. And I I actually feel, I feel that feeling of the voice a lot. I can feel that when I talk about it, you know, whereas Australian Idol, I can't even feel it. It's so far away and so locked away. So how did you make the decision to go back to reality television? Did the voice approach you? Yeah, they approached me because I actually don't know how this came about, but I know that the person who was finding talent or one of those people is best friends with a choreographer in our industry so maybe was one at one of the shows that she might have come to Hairspray uh, and seen me do stuff and so she somehow got my number or email and called and wanted me to do it and I said no I don't want to do it and then I don't No, I guess they went at it from an angle of, you know, you're a professional and we want professionals there. We want people that can sing this sort of music. And I don't know. I think I just let myself believe that maybe this would be different. And then again, get to the sound check, panic, same thing, go out there for the blind. And I could just feel feel myself shaking and so of course when you go to hit the notes like I think maybe one of them when they didn't turn around and then at the end said you know maybe it was too high for you or you don't seem no you know what it was you don't seem confident enough you're not confident which was very similar to what Ryan had said to me you know after the whole LA thing which is funny because it seems like a huge like mo on those shows is to knock it out of you Yeah, and I'd had the confidence knocked out of me constantly. And I think it's very hard to be confident when you don't really believe it yourself. Like I was just always kind of hoping things would go well, but then being embarrassed when they weren't, you know. And as you go on and on and on, 
performing, you stack up things that either go well or don't go well in your mind. And so I had this huge stack of things that didn't go well that weren't going towards me being confident. <laughs> and then this small stack of ones that did go well. And I think that's that's what ended up happening when I was having the panic attacks on stage is that that pile got so high that I stopped believing that I could do it at all. You know, sometimes when you're panicked or you're nervous, the back of your head goes, something will happen. It'll work out. It'll be fine. Adrenaline, I'll make it work. I always make it work. That left me completely. And I was like paralyzed with fear because I actually believed that I couldn't do anything anymore. I was like, I, I actually don't know how to sing. I don't know how to dance. I don't know how to perform. I don't know how to do this anymore. I've, I've lost the ability that's how much, how many things I'd stacked up of bad experiences, I think, that I couldn't even remember or draw on the good ones. I couldn't remember the feeling of succeeding. I think the other thing that plays a part, like when, when you've been on a show like Australian Idol and and The Voice, is um, every performance is yes or no. Huh, yes. Yep. Absolutely. Because that's the thing like that, you know, this therapist I was talking to was saying is, is like you have this experience in the entertainment world of you are either going to make it or you're not. But jobbing actors and, and music theatre people, they go, oh, yeah, that was a bad show. On to the next. Or um, you maybe get a second chance, you know, you get another chance to try it with notes rather than one chance, you're fucked or you're great. But I have never thought of it like that before. And what we need to get better at coming through reality television trauma is like you do actually get a second chance. If you're doing a season for six months, it's like the next night is always a new night. And and there's more to it than just singing. It's about the whole package, I think, when you're in a show. I think that's why I can often get through something if I'm telling a story because the story is bigger than me. The importance of telling the story is bigger than me and it makes me less self-absorbed, really. But when it's just focusing on singing, I really struggle with that because it feels like the judgment is too hard and um, I won't be good enough. You just need to get back to that place of... When you don't know the melody to Last Christmas, you make it up. <laughs> oh, my God. That will haunt me forever. Like, what kind of dickhead thinks that they can get away with singing a completely new melody to Last Christmas? The most amazing <laughs> woman I know, Chloe Zool. And that was my interview with the IDOL that is Chloe Zool. May we all get to a place where we feel confident enough to make up the melody as we go along. Last Christmas, I gave you my heart. <gasps> the very next day, you tore it away. This podcast was produced by Hugo Chiarella for Unlikely Productions. The dulcet melody that you are listening to right now was crafted by Robert Tripolino. If you reckon this podcast is a bit of all right, please tell your mates, post about the podcast and leave us a review on iTunes to help other people find the show. Come on, get a girl out there. You can also follow me at Gjoska on Instagram. Yeah, I know, that's G-J-O-S-C-A. Not my best, not my worst. You can also follow me at Gab on Twitter. It's my name, but backwards. Hey, 
We should do this again sometime.